0: You're listening to the African Campfire Stories Podcast. The African Campfire Stories Podcast is a program that is dedicated to the telling of African history stories and events. Welcome. To bring African history to you, we have to read through a lot of details, facts, dates, names, and names of places. Should you pick up anything we get wrong or if you just want to reach us, please use our website www.africancampfirestories.com. You can also reach us on our social media pages, on Twitter, African Campfire Stories, on Facebook, African Campfire Stories, and on Instagram, African Campfire Stories. Your assistance in this regard will help us continue to give you quality programming. When creating our podcast episodes, we use works from historians and other writers as our sources. We're very grateful to these men and women. Now, on to today's episode. This is the Xenophobia and Hatred Series, Episode 1. Introduction. Ceterum senseo Carthaginum esse delendum." That is Latin. In English, it translates to, open quote, Furthermore, I consider that Carthage must be destroyed quote. these are the immortal words of the famous politician of the roman republic known as cato the elder words spoken with growing intensity from 157 bc until his death in 149 bc carthage is a north african state of classical times which was situated where modern-day tunisia is located for those who know something about roman history you will know that the Roman Republic later turned into the Roman Empire when it shed its republican roots with the ascension of Augustus Caesar in 27 BC and thus became, in effect, a kind of monarchy. You will also know that the reason this Cato is known as the Elder is to differentiate him from his famous great-grandson known as Cato the Younger. The Younger Cato's main claim to fame was his dogged opposition to Julius Caesar. Opposition which began mainly around the beginning of the wars Caesar was conducting in the area of modern-day France. Back then it was known as Gaul, starting from 58 BC until Cato the Younger's death in 46 BC. Back to the older Cato. Cato the Elder was a Roman of the old school. And what exactly does that mean? Well, in Cato the Elder's case, it meant being a super extra conservative, being opposed to anything new and being xenophobic. We know Cato was xenophobic because of his hateful feelings towards the Greeks and their culture. To him, all things Roman were good and should be preserved, all things foreign were a malign influence on Rome and should be avoided. We won't get into detailed listing of Roman political positions, but Rome had a strict path that those who eventually got to the top had to traverse. The starting point was the military, and Cato came from a very military family. He traversed all the political positions and levels until he became consul. A consul is basically equivalent to president of a country. The difference being that Rome had two consuls at a time to prevent one person being too powerful. For you history buffs out there, you will recall that the Greek state of Sparta is another example of a country from classical times that had two heads of state. In the case of Sparta, they had two kings ruling at the same time. For those of you who know about French history, You will know that Napoleon Bonaparte's position in France before he made himself emperor in 1805 was that of First Consul. This idea of consul was taken from the Romans. But I digress. As far as why Cato wanted Carthage to be destroyed, we will get into the details later on in our Xenophobia and Hatred series. For now, we will state that Rome finally and thoroughly destroyed Carthage in 146 B.C. This ended the so-called Punic Wars. The latter is the label given to the three wars fought between Rome and Carthage between 264 BC and 146 BC. Rome's genocides in Africa were not over though. Enter Emperor of Rome, Caracalla. After killing his younger brother Geta so that he won't have to share power with him, Caracalla was mocked by the Egyptians, specifically the citizens of the city of Alexandria, in a public play, a play dramatizing his murder of his younger brother. At this point in history, Egypt was a province of the Roman Empire, which means that Caracalla was also an emperor of the Egyptians. The Alexandrians were mocking the fact that Caracalla claimed to have killed his brother in self-defense. In response to this, In 2015 BC, Caracalla killed hundreds of Alexandrians, maybe even thousands, and had the city of Alexandria plundered, burnt, and destroyed. All of this because the guy was pissed off by a play? We bet there was something behind this mass killing. Being dissed in a play is hardly a reason for such craziness. But then, Caracalla. Maybe you don't know Caracalla enough if you think this was crazy of him. He was called by a Roman historian who lived at the same time as him, the enemy of mankind. We will explore such things in later episodes of our Xenophobia and Hatred series. In the wee hours of the morning, young boys in their teens would be seen running across the countryside. Some were just 14 years old and they would be armed with knives, swords and some would be carrying spears. These young boys would almost be naked. The clothing they wore was scant. These young boys were on a hunt. Those they hunted would be filled with fear. Panic would spread amongst them. Because these young boys were ordered to kill human beings that lived amongst them. This killing was ordered by the state, the government. These boys were Greek boys hunting other Greeks and killing them at will. Welcome to ancient Sparta, Greece. These murder sprees were called the krypteia. It was part of the ruthless and brutal training that young Spartans received on their way to becoming grown men. But the krypteia was also meant to keep the slaves in check, to keep them pacified in case they wanted to revolt. The other Greeks they were allowed to kill willy-nilly were the slaves of Sparta. Owning Greek slaves was rather something new in the Greek Peninsula. All Greeks had slaves, by the way, but it was rare for the slaves to be other Greeks. Also, the state of Sparta had way more other slaves than other Greek states of the time. Some historians claim that Sparta had 20 slaves for every normal Spartan citizen. Many admirers of ancient Sparta, those that know anything about the cryptea, knew these killings as a stain on an otherwise admirable nation. The fact that Sparta would enslave so many Greeks is not a surprise if you think how xenophobic the Spartans were. In the eyes of a Spartan, no one, Greek or non-Greek, was worthier than he or she. That's why, even when you watch a pop culture movie like 300, you pick up that the Spartans took their Greek compatriots for granted. The dilemma that is faced by anyone who admires Spartan culture is similar to the dilemma suffered by admirers of German culture and its achievements. How to explain the Nazi genocides? Historians of Germany ask questions such as how does one explain the Nazi cruelties in light of the fact that Germany was a very civilized, advanced and cultured country? This is the country of Ruth and Schiller for crying out loud but it was also the country of Martin Luther and Wagner Brilliant historical figures who were also very xenophobic, especially when it came to their fellow Jewish Germans. When it comes to genocides from history, there have been rulers, leaders, governments or nations that have supported or led the committing of genocides. If you discuss, say, Hitler and the genocidal crimes that he committed, a lot of people agree. The same applies to people like Joseph Stalin and Genghis Khan or Paul Plot, the leader of Cambodia during the Vietnam War. But then you have leaders that are too ingrained as heroes in the psyche of history readers. Many history readers are offended if such heroes as Julius Caesar, Napoleon and Alexander the Great are regarded as mass murderers. For many years, centuries actually, Alexander the Great was regarded as a hero of the West. A hero who humbled the evil Eastern Empire of the Persians. But some recent scholars are now saying that Alexander was also a mass murderer and that his attack on Persia is an example of a bona fide genocide. Alexandra was raised and even educated to hate Persians. Many Greeks of the time were the same. Many Greeks of the time were the same. They almost all hated Persia. To be fair, his hatred was not to be helped by the fact that between 490 BC and 479 BC, the Persians invaded the Greeks twice. Other historical heroes hold contradictory classifications as heroes and mass murderers. Napoleon Bonaparte was initially seen as a monster. If you look at the media of that time, from Britain in particular, it's as if they had all agreed to call Bonaparte a monster. Napoleon was eventually defeated in 1815. After that, he counted little in terms of history. He was a defeated monster. However, by the time of World War I, Napoleon is seen as a hero almost by all military men everywhere. By World War II, almost every general involved in that war had at least one photo of themselves where he affected the famous Napoleonic pose. That is the pose where one hand goes under the waist area of the top tunic. Napoleon's wars left millions of people dead. Napoleon was even dangerous to his own soldiers. He's quoted as saying something like this, open quote, You cannot stop me. I spend 30,000 lives a month, close quote. The lives he was spending were the lives of his men, his army. Many historians have noticed that leaders like Napoleon, Hitler and Stalin were not born in the countries they had led and inflicted so much pain upon. This fact thus gives these leaders a situation where they don't care so much about the nations they are supposed to be leading. Maybe this is true, maybe not. In April 1945, a month just before Hitler killed himself, he is quoted as saying something like this about the Germans. The German people do not deserve to live. Only the nation from the East has shown that it desires to rule the world. The future belongs to the Eastern nation. The Eastern nation is Russia, by the way. Or more accurately, the United Socialist Soviet Republics. Hitler said this as a response to requests from some of his ministers to leave German infrastructure and resources intact, so that the German people will have a means of survival after the war. Hitler's view was that the infrastructure and resources should be destroyed and not left for the German people's survival. According to Hitler, the Germans, the people he had led for so long, did not deserve to live. This is from a guy who once said something to the effect of He had no other wife but Germany What is disturbing about many of history's heroes or evil men Is that for the most part The people they led were very keen on doing the bidding of these leaders Every mass murdering tyrant from history Needed a bunch of culprits who hated like he did And who put as little value on human life as he did Some analysts of the Nazi killings have shown that the contemporaneous German people's blaming of only Hitler for all those murders is misguided. Through the breaking down of the effort, the resources, the numbers of people required to kill so many people in such a short amount of time, these analysts have shown convincingly that the Nazi murders must have had widespread assistance from the ordinary German people. Besides, European anti-Semitism is well documented. The xenophobia against Jews started centuries back and Jews were getting murdered even in classic times. During the great Jewish revolt against Rome in the 60s AD, Vespasian and Titus, a father and son double team, killed thousands of people in Judea. It should be noted also that the Jews also killed hundreds of people during the upheaval. The Jews killed Romans and their own people. Those of their own people that were suspected to be in bed with Rome, but not only sellouts. Also people who were not enthusiastically supporting the revolt were also killed. In medieval times, Jews were murdered whenever a major crusade was taking shape. As the first crusade was picking up steam in 1095 AD, German Jews were killed. Killed by the same people who were claiming that they were going to save Jerusalem from Muslims. But if you thought the crusaders would be kind to the people they were supposed to be freeing, you are mistaken. In 1099 AD, the Catholic Crusaders were finally able to break into Jerusalem after fighting all the way from what is now known as modern-day Turkey. They killed everybody in Jerusalem. They killed Eastern Orthodox Christians. They killed Jews. They killed Muslims. They killed thousands of people. Maybe if one has to be very lenient. You can forgive the Crusaders. They didn't know the politics of the Holy Land. Maybe they didn't know who was the enemy and who wasn't. But how to explain another massacre carried out by the Crusaders in 1191 AD at the city of Acre? By then, Catholic Europeans had been in the Holy Land for close to 100 years. To make things worse for the Crusader reputation and honor, after the Crusaders took Jerusalem in 1099 AD and killed everybody. Salah ad-Din took the city back for the Muslims in 1187 AD and guess what? He didn't revenge the Muslims for the massacres committed by the Crusaders ever since their arrival in the Holy Land. Salah ad-Din let the Catholic Christians live. So how to explain the Catholic massacre of the Muslims coming only after four years of the Muslims having shown such undeserved mercy to them? But when it comes to genocides from history hardly anyone's hands are clean. Muslims of the Ottoman Empire left a swathe of death in the Balkan area of Europe in the 15th and the 16th centuries. In fact, from World War I till 1923, the Ottoman Empire murdered hundreds of thousands of Armenians. Who are the Ottomans? Well, if you want to approximate, you can say that modern-day Turkey is the former Ottoman Empire. But of course, the empire of the Ottomans was much, much larger than that. But the heartland of the Turks is Turkey, and it was the Turks who ran the Ottoman Empire. Here is some trivia. Armenia was the first state to formally adopt the Christian religion as the religion of the state, the first country anywhere to do so, period. This was in 301 AD when St. Gregory the Illuminator convinced Tiridates III, the king of Armenia, to convert to Christianity. This was at the time when the Romans... The culture credited with bringing Christianity to Europe was still worshipping multiple pagan gods. As you know, it was Europe that later brought Christianity to almost the rest of the world. But the countries that brought Christianity to the world, in other words Britain, France, Spain, Germany, Portugal and the Netherlands, were not even born at this time, when Armenia formally went Christian. One last trivia item, Kim Kardashian recently wrote a letter to request the Americans to recognize the Armenian Genocide. The aim being that once America acknowledges the genocide, America will pressure Turkey to do the same. Miss Kardashian is Armenian. Pope Francis named the Armenian Genocide the first genocide of the 20th century. Turkey on the other hand is acting confused about what everyone is talking about. (laughs) What genocide is the world talking about? Our series on xenophobia is not meant to impose guilt on the nations that committed genocide somewhere in their past. This is definitely not the point of our xenophobia and hatred series. In fact we couldn't achieve that even if that were our actual goal. If you look back far enough into every nation's history you'll find a genocide somewhere. So we're not about to try and make the whole world guilty. Our main aim is to make people aware how these things began and what factors underpin them. At the African Campfire Stories podcast, we've decided to tackle the topic of xenophobia and hatred. This is due to the recent xenophobic violence outbursts in the country of the Republic of South Africa. This is the first episode of that series. Xenophobia is broadly defined as the fear of foreigners. Hatred for people who don't look like you. Or people who don't come from the same place as you do. We all know what hatred means. We're going to be doing many episodes on xenophobia and hatred. Some of the stories mentioned above for introduction purposes will be explored in detail in later episodes. We cannot cover every genocide from history. Like we've said before, we haven't found a nation that hasn't committed some kind of genocide ever. We will, however, tackle genocides that will fall in these broad categories. Genocides committed due to religion, faith, and belief reasons. Genocides committed due to political reasons. Genocides based on race and tribe, Genocides committed because of economic reasons And lastly, genocides committed due to ideological reasons We want to cover as broad as possible the many reasons why genocides occur We will cover both African genocides and genocides from other parts of the world As we did at the beginning of this episode Rwanda will be discussed The Sudan, of course Sierra Leone will be in there You cannot leave out anti-Semitism When it comes to historical discussions of xenophobia, we will have to cover Genghis Khan and his Mongols. Stalin and Hitler are established alumni when it comes to such things. You can't leave them out. The South African situation will definitely be analyzed in detail. Both the early 1990s and the past 12 years or so of xenophobic violence in that country. If we miss your favorite genocide... Please leave us a comment on our social media or on our website www.africancampfirestories.com And if we have space and time, we will cover it. We will cover how genocides begin. In fact, we will cover how the hate begins. How does the severely dangerous us and them dichotomy develop? What factors give birth to the hatred? What factors drive that hatred forward into genocide territory? Interestingly, where data is available, we will contrast the perceptions of the haters with the available data. What do we mean by this? In many cases, genocides are committed for economic reasons. But in almost all these cases, economists and historians have collected statistics which show that perceptions of the people doing the hating were not allied to reality. We are now revealing our general findings, but this is enough as a teaser. For the listeners who've been following us so far, let us try and explain a situation which could be potentially confusing to you guys. Our current series is called the Cold War Pawns. That series has been running for around 7 weeks now and we have released a handful of episodes. So, please go check out Cold War Pawns. it's a very necessary story about the Cold War and its impact on the African continent. Once this episode is released, we will be running Cold War Pawns and Xenophobia and Hatred in parallel. These two series will be alternating, meaning that one week we will release an episode of Cold War Pawns, and the next week we will release an episode of Xenophobia and Hatred, and so on and so forth. And now, for the last lap of content before we leave you for today, like many other responsible Africans, we are concerned about the dark tones that the recent xenophobic violence in the Republic of South Africa took. South Africa, for the longest time, has been regarded as the one country in Africa that got it right. And by it we mean that South Africa avoided the kind of civil strife that came after independence. Strife that engulfed most of Africa. But of course, the issue of strife is a relative one. South Africa, in the early 1990s, showed that things were not completely perfect in the country. Violence broke out between the Zulu-dominated Inkata Freedom Party, IFP, led by Prince Butelezi and the African National Congress, led by Nelson Mandela and Oliver Tambo, The violence was at its worst in what is now known as the Gauteng province and the KwaZulu-Natal province. The violence also had tribalistic undertones, as the Zulus and the IFP saw the ANC as a Xhosa-dominated organization. Also, in 2007, in the Eastern Cape province of South Africa, over 36 Somalis were killed, Over 100 places of dwelling belonging to Zimbabweans were burned to the ground. We strongly believe that the summit of xenophobia is genocide. Genocide is the epitome of hatred. Genocide has been the tool and perfect expression of hatred throughout human history. We know some people might be thinking that we are alarmist. Hey, they might think you guys are taking a few murders committed by a crazy fringe and you are concluding that this could result in a genocide? Without invincing any shame, we will reply and say yes we are. And it's not because we are alarmists, it's simply because we are lovers and students of history. What we need to remember as history lovers is that no genocide in history started out with 100,000 people being killed. Genocides start at murder number one. Some genocides start in a simple and innocuous fashion. We will leave you with this one last thought for the day. In January 1933, Adolf Hitler and his Nazis attained power in Germany. Within a few months, in May 1933, there was a huge fire lit by the Nazis in Berlin. A fire in front of the government buildings for burning books that were not our, let's say, agreeing with Nazism's view of Germany. Remember, these were still innocent times. The Nazis had hardly killed anyone since they had been in power. Amongst the books that the Nazis were burning was a book by a famous German poet, Heinrich Heine. In that book was the now famous quote, open quote, Where they burn books, they will ultimately burn people. Close quote. Every historian who writes about the Germany of that period makes mention of this quote, and all, in unison, say, had anyone taken that quote seriously, maybe the Nazi murders of the 1940s would have been avoided. That's all the time we have for today. We have reached the end of the first episode of our xenophobia and hatred series. For the next episode, we will expand on the issue of genocides. We will cover more detail. We will introduce some of the culprits of the genocides from history. We will also talk about some conditions that made hatred possible in those historical cases. Stay tuned for more facts, information and storytelling from the African Campfire Stories podcast program.